you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 1. And this is the first of a two-part series on a sanctified life. Now, I want to make very clear right here, right now, uh, if you are in here and you have your children with you, Uh, This message will absolutely be PG-13, so it is uh, probably the best thing that you could do is to uh, head to the junior high or the high school class and uh, spend this particular message there and likewise for next Sunday as well. Uh, Because we're, we're addressing an issue that has, I believe, affected the church really like no other issue, especially in our modern time. But it's been around with us since... When these words were written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Thessalonica. Now remember, he wrote these letters from Corinth. So he's in the Las Vegas of Greece, writing to a city that was at the base, in essence, of Mount Olympus, the home of the Greek gods, and in a culture where sex and religion were actually mixed. So when people went to church, if you were Greek, uh, you would go visit male and female prostitutes that was part of the worship service. So this was a messed up situation. Our world is every bit that messed up. Human sexuality has been turned into almost everything but what God intended. And yet here in these verses, we'll look at the first four today. We'll pick up the next four down through verse 8 next Sunday because they're two completely different uh, positions to look at this situation from. But as we turn our attention, I would remind you that this is not the conclusion. You'll notice verse 1 here. It says, finally then. Oh, he's still got two full chapters. And and by word count... uh, Almost half the book is left. So why would he say that? Because what was affecting that culture then is what affects us now. And he's going to spend some time speaking to the church at Thessalonica about an issue that we need to talk about. An issue that is plaguing us. And so would you join me as we pray? And ask God to speak to us through these four verses. Father, we come this afternoon to you. And Lord, we begin by confessing our sin. Lord, we we admit that there's things that our eyes have seen, that our ears have heard. Lord, that we have done. Uh, Maybe it was in our past. Maybe it was in our today. Perhaps it's planned for our tomorrow. Lord, that are not pleasing to you. Have put us outside of the bounds of your blessing. And we pray that you would instruct us now from heaven as we really see what you want from us for a sanctified life. We put this in your hands and ask now that you'd bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so he says in verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, Finally then, brethren, so as the family of God... Let me remind you, we're the family of God. This is not a gathering in a sports arena where we get a bunch of people together and I give you a motivational speech. This is the church, and as God's people, you're sitting in church. As God's people, we get our counsel from God's Word. And as God's people, we believe, as Christians, 
that God is the final authority on everything. Amen? So we're in church. So were I to speak this message to someone who does not know the Lord, so if you're here today, this message will seem perhaps offensive. But to us as the church, it's truth. If we really look at human sexuality from God's perspective, our world is a mess. Amen? More than half of Christian marriages end in divorce. Children now are becoming addicted to pornography between 8 and 10 years old. Children are having their first sexual experience between 6 and 10. We now have instant access to video pornography on cell phones. Our world is a mess in this area. And I pray that as we speak to these verses that you will understand that the only way that this is going to change is if the church rises up with one voice and speaks the truth and then lives it. We, we can't play with this any longer because it's destroying our country. It's destroying really our world. It's believed that there are more than 300 million young women between the ages of 11 and 17 years old that are in sexual slavery today around the world. We have the answer. And it's time to tell the world what the answer is. And his name's Jesus. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. It becomes very clear in these first couple of verses where the Apostle Paul is going. You see, as a believer in Christ, you don't set your own standard. Christ set the standard of how you will live. Christ has given us a picture of what that looks like, He's given us instruction on how to get there, and we're supposed to live that way. And so what it says, abound more and more. And the reason it says that, it's to abound first and then abound again, and the principle is keep abounding. In other words, keep becoming more like Jesus, not more like the world. Now, I want to make very clear, the grace of God is sufficient for all of our sin. Amen? But we ought not try to see how close we can get to walking with the devil, but rather how close we can get to walking with and acting exactly like the Lord Jesus. That's our model. Now maybe some of you are saying, why, that's just too tough for me. In you, you're right, it is. But with his power, I can do how many things through Christ? All, amen? So there is no such thing as something that's outside of that all. The question is, will we endeavor to get there? Will we try to go there? Will we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in such a way that things that once formerly bound us, once formerly kept us, which have been a problem for us, will we submit those things to the Lordship of Jesus Christ or not? It's not that He's not sufficient. 
It's we will not flee and relent. And so this picture is a strong one. It says in verse 3, any of you ever want to know what God's will is for your life? I do. We're supposed to know the will of the Lord. There are things about God's will that we do not know. If you decide to ask God if you're supposed to have a Hyundai versus a Honda, He may not tell you. If you're going to ask the Lord if you're supposed to have a cheeseburger or a taco for lunch later, you may not get an answer to that. He might. Maybe from heaven He'll shine a light on Taco Bell or something and you'll know. But my point is this. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, you know, I'm going to tell you exactly what my will is for your lunch. But it does tell us exactly what His will is with this subject. This is one of the places where God says implicitly, directly, without any equivocation, He doesn't give any excuses, He lets no one off the hook, He doesn't say, well, this is my will except, or unless, follow it with me. For this is the will of God, underline it. Your sanctification. He begins with a word that maybe some of you don't understand. We'll get to it in a moment. But sanctification is being saintly or being set apart. It's being like Christ. In other words, it's a process that begins when you say yes to Jesus, continues your whole life while you're here on this earth. You become more saintly, more Christ-like, more set apart. You become less like the old you and more like the new you, ultimately ending with you going to heaven. Perfect. So it's a process. This is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, here's how you get to sanctification in this area of your life. This is how you become more like Jesus in the area of human sexuality. Notice what it says, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now we're going to break this down because it's important for us to recognize exactly what God is intending to say to us here. But you can't become more like Jesus becoming more like the filth of the world. You're not going to get closer to Christ by dipping yourself in the sewer of this life. You are not going to get closer to Jesus by doing the very things that he tells you not to do. You will get closer to Jesus and be more like him if you choose to do exactly what he has told us. And he has defined exactly how your human sexuality is supposed to work. He's pulled no punches. This is an area of absolute accuracy with the Lord. You may not know the exact process whereby you become infilled with the Holy Spirit. But with regard to your sexuality, the Bible is eminently clear. And so he uses a generic term here, and we'll enlighten this a little bit as we go on. He uses the Greek word poronea. 
And the reason he uses that term, and here it's translated immorality, is because it applies to every kind of sexual sin that is outside of God's definition for when sex is good. Can I ask you a question? Who invented sex? God. You think he knows what makes it good? You think he knows why he created it? So if he did that, and he tells us what that is, and if there's other ways, what do you think those ways are called? Wrong. God made, in the beginning, Adam and Eve into his own image. Amen? He said, I have created man in my own image. In all of creation, God said this very thing about all of it. It is very good. So if God created Adam and Eve, unique individuals created, by the way, with sexual purpose, both for fulfillment sexually and for procreation, don't you think God would tell us exactly what we're supposed to do with that? He does. His word's very clear. Again, I remind you. This is a PG-13 time. We don't do this very often, but this is one of those passages. He says you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. That is a euphemism for saying you ought to know how to control your own self. Sexually. You ought to know what to do with how God created you fearfully and wonderfully. In other words, he didn't create you to, you to do whatever you want to do. So when you hear people saying, hey, my body is mine, as a believer, can I say something to you? It's going to sting. Your body doesn't belong to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says your body belongs to God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Secondarily, if you're married, guess who else your body belongs to and it's not you? Your spouse. So in that sense, you do not have the right to use your body physically for anything other than God's intended purpose as a believer. It's not yours to toy with. It's his to bless you with, and it's his to bless your spouse with. It's not yours to do with as you see fit. I told you I was going to make everybody mad. It's okay. I'll take a few bullets, get a few emails. It's all right. And so what does he say to us? He says, look, I urge you, I exhort you, I want to implore you, I want to speak into your life that we have to live moral lives in an obsessed world. We have to live in a way that pleases God, not in a way that pleases ourselves. In other words, we need to get moving in the right direction. You see, when you think about your life, it says we should abound more and more. We have to go from going our own way to going His way. And then when you start going His way, you need to go more His way, and then more His way, and ultimately keep going His way until you're completely going His way. Everybody got it? we got to move the right direction. Now, you can go back the other way. We call that backsliding. Amen? That's called going the wrong way. That's going back where you used to be. That's going back where you have been delivered from. You see, the Christian life is not just a set of rules. Your Bible's not a rule book in that sense. It's a manual for wonderful life. 
and abundance and blessing. But like any other book that has stuff in it that we're supposed to do that we don't do, the choice is ours whether we do it or not. And if we want to live God's way, we'll receive God's blessing. If we want to do things our own way, then he will simply say, you can have what you've earned. And probably very few people in this room have not lived long enough on this earth to figure out that when you do things your way as opposed to his way, the results are not that good. Amen? You see, we sometimes wonder exactly how our world got the way it is. We, we have, as the church, a part to play in it because pastors are afraid to stand up and do what I'm doing right now. I figure somebody's going to get up and leave. Somebody's going to leave the church. You know, you can't tell me that my committed relationship is not from the Lord. I'm not telling you that. God is. Because He said, if you want to know my will then you abstain from sexual immorality. All kinds of it. It's a logical, it is a moral imperative to move forward in your walk with the Lord. If you try and stay stagnant, if you try and mess with sin, if you try and be in two worlds at once, if you try and serve two masters at once, if you're in a sexual relationship with someone that you're not married to, you're in sin. Period. No matter how much you call it committed. That's because God's Word says that. As believers, we take our cue from God's Word, not from what the world says. Our problem is we listen to what the world says. We pick up the world's understanding of what a committed relationship is. God says it's one man, one woman for life in marriage. And for this reason, what was the reason? Marriage. God created them as man and woman. And the two shall be joined together as one flesh. God defined that in the very first chapters of the book of Genesis. He hasn't changed his stance on it. Didn't go, oh man, I sure never saw that culture coming. Wow, they're so far advanced now, they kind of factored me out of the equation. They can do anything they want. No, God knows exactly what's best for humankind. And so he says, this is how your sexuality is supposed to work in marriage. Everything outside of marriage, as far as God is concerned, is sin. No matter how committed you are to it. No matter how much you say, it's okay. No matter how much you say, well, this is the best thing for me. No matter how much you justify whatever it is that you're doing. From God's perspective, all sexual immorality is sin. Homo, hetero, uh, you, by yourself, boyfriend, girlfriend, dating out... Look, that backseat makeout session is not from God. It's not. When it gets to that heavy, heated place, that's not the Lord speaking to you. That would be your hormones. God created them, but He didn't tell you to take them there. 
You see, all of God's principles are lifeless without application. You've got to put them to work. You've got to make them start doing something for you. And so you, you, you can't do what the world does and, and say you're pleasing God. An acceptable walk is a walk that pleases God. There's all kinds of commands. And so he says, look, these are commandments. Notice verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know God's word on this. There's an interesting thing that happens as a pastor. When you counsel with people and they talk about this particular area of life, almost without exception, people will go, I know it's wrong. It's insane how, I know it's wrong. I know I shouldn't be doing this. I know God's word says don't. I know, I know, I know, I know, but I will not do. And they wonder why the relationship is a mess. They wonder why they're having a tough time finding a spouse that loves them. They're wondering why the relationships they've had in the past have all ended in failure. It's because there's no verse in the Bible that says you should be test driving your spouse or anyone else's. I don't mean to be too graphic, but you all know what I'm saying. One man, one woman for life. I very, I've had, this has been a new thing, like the last 10 years. Well, we just need to know whether we're sexually compatible. Here's how I answer that. So you don't need to come see me. Are you a man? Uh Uh-huh. Are you a woman? Uh Uh-huh. You're sexually compatible. (laughs) It's like, don't mess with the old guy. I've been around a while. We make our excuses. Oh, we don't. How do I know? We have to do things God's way. And so he says, look, this is my will. This is my God-created order. I made it very good, and I'm going to give you some absolutes regarding this. When you look at the problem people in the Old Testament, David... Solomon, Moses, pretty much all of them. You see any kind of normal thing that happened that kind of got them all messed up? Look at Solomon. A dude with a, he was not satisfied with a thousand concubines, okay? So don't think that you can get any more satisfied with your thoughts on the matter. You won't. The only place that that satisfaction comes is being in the center of God's will in marriage. Do you think you can have it someplace else? You are sadly mistaken. And again, not because I say so. God's Word says so. He defined how this is supposed to work. And so he says, look, I've given these commandments. You know what Jesus said? You are my disciples indeed if you keep my commandments. In other words, he put the onus on us. He said, if you want to know whether you're walking in my will in most things, just do what I tell you to do. Act how I tell you to act. Be what I tell you to be. Live the way I tell you to live. In the area of sexuality, he's been real clear. 
You're not supposed to be sexually active except in marriage. And if you're married, thank you, Jesus, for that release in marriage. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. In marriage. It's not a beautiful thing between two 15-year-olds. It's not a beautiful thing for your 50th time. Because your mind stores every bit of that, and God knows it. And so for the rest of your days, you're comparing one to two to three to five to ten. And there will be absolutely no satisfaction in it. That's why God said, you keep that in marriage. And when you say, I do, you keep that marriage bed undefiled before the Lord. And then you enjoy your spouse. Day one to the end, you both go home. That's where it belongs. Now, you may say, well, that's prudish. Well, if that's prudish, then I guess I'm a prude. But I'm going to take God's word on it instead of yours. You know why? Because he's always right. He hadn't made any mistakes ever. Me, not so much. He's given us commands. Those orders came from heaven. He said, look, this is how I want you to conduct yourself. There are absolutes. Now, you can either believe those absolutes or you can not believe those absolutes. But I want to encourage you, believe those absolutes. Listen to what the Lord says. He says, I want you to be sanctified. So the idea of our sanctification, what it really means to be separated or separation to God, and it's picture, it's really a picture of the Old Testament. It's a picture of the high priest very specifically. There was only one person on the Day of Atonement that could enter into the Holy of Holies. That was the high priest. Part of his garments, of course, he had the breastplate with the 12 tribes of the children of Israel on it. Of course, he had a robe of royal purple. Of course, he had the bells of pomegranate. But on his head was basically a turban. And on that turban was a gold band. And on that gold band said, Holiness unto the Lord. That's what we're supposed to be. Men, we are the priests of our home. We're supposed to be acting godly. Not carnal. We're supposed to be set apart. And what happens is this, is a three-step process. When you first get saved, you're instantaneously positionally sanctified. In Christ, you are placed in Christ, your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven. So in that sense, you're a saint. That's why Paul writes to the saints at the various churches, amen? Because every last, you didn't know it, you probably don't have your own medal or statue or anything, but you are saint, fill in the blank your name. I'm Saint Jeff. St. Jeff of Lomita. (laughs) Sounds kind of cool, actually. But in Christ, you've been positionally placed in Christ. So you're a saint. You may have thought that was reserved for really holy people, but it's actually what the Bible calls you as a believer. The second is something that happens your entire life. And that's progressive sanctification. In other words, here's what happens. When you got saved, you were a train wreck. And then you start to get a little better, and a little better still. And a few years into it, you realize there's some things that are no longer in your life that used to be in your life. 
as you grow, your hope is to get all the way to where when you go home to be with Jesus, there's not much left for him to instantaneously transform into that third stage, which is total glory in heaven. So you're supposed to start where you are, get more like Jesus, and when Jesus calls us home, there is very little left to change in your life. Because when you get there, you're going to be perfect. Amen? Wouldn't it be nice to not have much to change when you get there? It's like you step out of time and into eternity, and there's like two things left. It's like you've got a bad attitude every time your sports team loses or something. I'd like to have only that. But you see, here's the deal. God has a specific will for you and a specific will for me. And, and, and it isn't the way the world looks at it. You see, the world looks at it like, well, I should just please myself. I should do whatever I want to do. There's been jillions of books written on it. Back in 2010, maybe some of you, and I hope you didn't read it, maybe you did, maybe you even saw the movie. It was Eat, Pray, Love. And if you remember the storyline of that story, the character in the movie played by Julia Roberts, a woman wakes up one morning at 30 years old, decides she no longer wants to be married, she no longer wants to be a mom, and she needs to go find herself. She goes on a journey to Italy. She finds the man of her dreams. And of course, he's Italian and handsome. By the way, it was a true story. She actually met the man, married him. Last September, she divorced that man and announced to the world that she's now a lesbian. You know why? Because when you go on a journey to find yourself, I'll tell you what you're going to find. Nothing good. You're going to find at the end of the road that Scripture's true. That there is no good thing that dwells in us. That all of us are deceitful and desperately wicked. And who can know us? You don't even know yourself. And when you go in search of yourself, you're going to find something you don't want. You don't want. And so God says, look, in this area of life, you've got to do things my way. I have a specific will for you. Now, many of you remember this story. If you think about this for a moment, it's a perfect analogy. Here's the perfect will of God for you in human sexuality. Abstain from sexual immorality. In other words, don't do any of it. No matter how you spell it, it's 50 shades of vomit, folks. That's not going to enhance your marriage. It's going to destroy your mind. It's going to give you a, a, a sense of sexuality that no person on the face of the earth can live out. It objectifies, in that case, women and men. We wonder why we're so messed up. It's because we've taken something that's holy and we've stuck it in a trash can. God's specific will is, using this word pornea, he says, look, don't do any of it. It doesn't matter what flavor it is. Pornography. Sexually graphic novels, by the way, are pornography. 
And here's why we know that. We'll get to it next time. Because it stimulates lust. Lust is a thought process that causes you to think about someone else sexually when you're not married to them. That should eliminate an awful lot of movies, shouldn't it? Most television shows, you can't even watch National Geographic Channel anymore. You understand? And I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm trying to tell you from God's perspective, if you want to clean up the mess, you got to do it God's way. His specific will is don't do any of it. And they're in Genesis chapter 39. You remember the story of Joseph. Where is he at? He's worked his way up the ladder. He's in Pharaoh's house. And so here comes Mrs. Pharaoh. Joseph, you are so cute. You know, you're looking pretty good in that robe. You can probably imagine for a second Joseph's going, yeah, I look good. Then he thinks for about two seconds, what am I doing? He says, I am not even supposed to be here. So what does Joseph do? He grabs his Nikes, laces them up tight, and he books it. That's God's counsel to you regarding sexual sin and temptation. Not stand around, hey, want to go out to coffee? You know, my, my husband doesn't talk to me anymore. Well, my, my wife hasn't said hello to me in like three weeks. You know, it, it's not really a date. Can we, can we just go, you want to talk? That's like, hello, Satan here. That's not you having your needs met. That's the pit of hell opening up and saying, hey, let's go do something different. God's specific will is, is you do exactly what Joseph did. You turn tail and run. You flee sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Timothy 2, 1 Peter 2, all say exactly the same thing. Flee sexual immorality of every kind. And in fact, it goes so far as to say, look, everything you do outside of your body kind of doesn't affect your body, but the things that you do sexually not just affect your mind and not just affect your spirit, they actually affect your body. So don't. God's counsel to us has been flee since day one. And you have to have the right definition of what he's saying to flee. It's all sexual activity outside of marriage. Of every flavor. You cannot sanctify your fornication, your sexual sin, by saying, but we're in a committed relationship. If you're that committed, go get married. God defined it. It's not up to us to rewrite the rules to it. It's for us to listen and say, God, this is what you said, and because I'm one of your children, and Jesus, you bought and paid for me with your own blood, and I now belong to you, not to myself, I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do. Irregardless of how you feel about that. Can I give you a little secret? God's not asking you for your feelings. He's asking you to be obedient in this area. Because your feelings will lie to you about a lot of things. 
And this is absolutely an area where your feelings will lie to you. Matter of fact, you'll have some extra feelings in this particular one. They're called hormones. You'll feel all kinds of things. That doesn't mean you're in love, and that doesn't mean that God blesses it. You see, we can't practice what he's told us not to practice and become more like Jesus. It's real simple. That passage in 1 Corinthians 6 says this, verse 13, foods are for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will destroy both of them. In other words, your bodies were only made for a temporal time, but the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. In other words, it actually says your body wasn't created to do those things. It was created actually for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised both up. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? How then shall it be joined to a harlot? Those are pretty strong words, amen? And get your terms right there. Harlot applies to both men and women. Very common during that day and time. And so he uses a generic term, someone who is sexually active that does so for a living. Certainly not. He says, flee sexual immorality. Now, why am I saying this? Because you can win, you can have victory. This can be defeated in your life. If, if you're here today, you just need some know-how. You need to know how to possess your own vessel. Look, if you feed that flame, it'll burn. If you give it reason to stay alive, it will. And it's like any other sinful behavior, except this one is stronger than most. Because you have five main drives in your life. And the first four keep you alive. Eating, breathing, coursing of your blood, and sleep. Number five, your sexuality. So God's not going to give you something that can't be controlled. I'm just going to put something in you and say, well, I'm sorry it's sin, but I know you can't help yourself. It gives you victory. But you've got to want the victory. And so we need some know-how. We have to take decisive action. We have to step out and step into faith. We have to recognize that we are, in fact, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are, as a believer, the dwelling place of the very same Holy Spirit. It caused the stars to be born, the universe to spin. And so if that's the case... We can control our sexuality. Because that Holy Spirit's in us. We have drastically different attitudes towards this subject than someone who doesn't know the Lord. And so let's make sure that we are possessing our vessels in a way that tells God, look, I want to honor you. I know what your will is. I'm fleeing those things. I'm not going to play with that stuff. I'm not going to sit around and watch it. I'm not going to continue to go to those places that that causes those thoughts to be uh, prevalent in my mind. I am going to run from those things. 
you got a problem with, the, with your cell phone, break the screen and just make calls. If you got an issue in your life, take decisive action and ask God to give you strength. Because if you play with it, it's going to master you. It's going to weight you down. And that's not what God wants. He wants you to be free. Would you stand and let's pray together. Worship team is going to come back out and we'll close in a chorus. But as I did the previous two services, it's a tough message. It's hard to deliver. It's hard to hear. Because it grates against our society. This, this is one of those subjects that the church wrestles with. Let's stop wrestling and start submitting. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I would just respectfully say, please, all of you, because I'm going to ask in just a moment, if you've been struggling and you want to be prayed for to be set free, you don't have a grip on this subject in your life. You, you've, been, you've been places you shouldn't be, and you've been doing things you shouldn't do, and you're tired of it. And you want to surrender that to the Lord. I want to pray for you. And so I'm just going to simply ask you to lift your hand up in the air. Please, no one looking around the sanctuary. Let it be a holy moment where everyone can do that in peace. I see that hand. Any others? Slip your, I see that hand as well. And any others? those hands up you're just telling god you want to be free that's a great thing i see that hand oh praise the lord hands going up all over the sanctuary thank you jesus he wants us to be sanctified he wants us to be set apart just keep him up for a moment longer praise the lord god's not mad at you god loves you he wants you to be free from this stuff because he knows it's going to hurt you he knows it's going to cause you pain and anguish just slip your hand up and I'm going to pray with all of you all at once. Any others? I see that hand. Praise God. See that hand in the back. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Put your hands down. It would be my honor to pray for you. Father, for all these hands, I just pray for them. We, we pray together in unison as a church. Lord, they want to be free from that which binds them. Lord, the thoughts of their minds, the actions of their life. Lord, the places they've gone, the things they've seen. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with pornography. I pray for those that are in relationships they shouldn't be in. I pray for those that are not faithful in their marriage. Lord, I pray for those that right now they are even thinking about something sinful and they haven't done it yet. Lord, in Jesus' name, by the power of the cross, set them free. Lord, bind the works of the enemy. Create in them a new heart, a clean heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from them. Lord, give them new desires and new thoughts. Cleanse, Lord, their minds of the sins of the past. Free them from the bondage, Lord. We thank you that we can be free. And he who the Son had set free is free indeed. Lord, we don't have to go there again. 
We don't have to do that again. And so, Lord, for these that have raised their hands, please grant them great victory. Set them free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.